The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 12. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Here's a super interesting fact about me. I like to do gardening and landscaping. <laughs> Just kidding about this interesting part. But I really do like to do that. It's therapeutic for my soul, for my emotions, for my body too, just to get out there and dig. Now, I've lived in Wake County now longer than any other place I've ever lived, um, which is quite shocking. But in those years, I've lived in five different houses that have all been brand new. And that means that when I move into the house, the landscaping is just like a, a blank canvas. It's pristine, and I get to go in there and slowly over the years plant plants. And I've done probably over a thousand plants in my lifetime. In my, in my tool shed, the tools would give fair evidence that I have done a lot of planting. Or in fact, they would give pretty good evidence that I've been doing it in North Carolina clay, if you just look at how damaged they all are. But, but that's, what, that's what I do. And, and because I, I actually do know what I'm doing, um, even in North Carolina clay, I'm pretty successful. Because, because I know what I'm doing, and I've studied hard, and I know how to do it. But I don't have a 100% success rate. Sometimes I fail, and it's usually very, very traumatic for me. Like the last one was a rhododendron. That was just last spring, and I had to actually just pull it up, and I was traumatized by that, and I've gotten a lot of therapy for it. I'm almost done with that. But I, I go in with confidence in planting plants, but I cannot be sure that they'll always be successful. Now, it's no wonder that many of Jesus' parables and in his teaching, he's using some sort of an agricultural setting. As he's walking with his disciples through the Judean countryside, he's going to see a lot of things that will be related to vineyards and planting and farming and things like that. So that appears in his parables rather famously. Now remember this, the kingdom of God comes first in the presence of the powerful King Jesus. That's what Josh was trying to help us to explain here. The problem with the people of Jesus' time, even with the disciples, was that it was not what they expected. Now, just think about it. The king has come, but it's a rather suspicious birth. He's from Nazareth or something, something like Andrew. A blue-collar job. Your public relations man eats grasshoppers. You're baptized in the dirty Jordan. You have 12 ordinary disciples, and ordinary is a compliment, and your family thinks you're nuts. So that's not a great beginning. 
But then Jesus will go on eventually to explain that the kingdom of God spreads and grows through the powerful word of the king. It will come later, again, with the powerful presence of the king the second time. When he comes a second time, he's going to set up a kingdom that has no enemies and has no end. The disciples had to get that. It took them a while to understand that, that the prophecies of the Old Testament were really talking about a Messiah coming twice, and everything will be completed the second time. Now, look, if you're a Christian, that is, if you're a disciple, then Jesus' powerful word absolutely did call you out of a state of deadness in your trespasses and sins. He, he called out and you came to life, if, if you're a Christian. He called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of his son. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you don't just see Jesus, you perceive him. You don't just hear the words of Jesus, you understand him. Your part in the kingdom of God is in partnering with the powerful word of Jesus. Anything you do or say, anything you give that disseminates the word of Jesus is a powerful participation in the powerful work of God. Jesus wants his disciples to understand how the kingdom begins and advances and ends. But it's the powerful words of Jesus that make that happen. He wants us to know what to expect when you join him. That's partly what he's doing in Mark 4. Will you join me? Let me tell you what you should expect. Now Mark includes the word, word, eight times in this chapter. If you understand what Mark is reporting in this chapter, then you're going to want to do three things. Ready? Listen to this. Number one, you want to respond to Jesus. Always, first and foremost, respond to Jesus. Hear him and accept him. It's the outcome or fruit of your life that will end up proving what soil you are. Secondly, be a part of the ministry of Jesus' powerful word. You'll not want to waste your life on anything other than sowing the gospel. You'll not want to find substitutes for the gospel. Not in other Christian books or in preachers or anything like that, just in that. In fact, if you understand this, this is what will occupy your life. Being a part of the powerful word of Jesus. Thirdly, if you understand this, you will not grow weary and impatient with how the words of Jesus make their effect. You're going to be patient and faithful. And here's another thing. You'll learn that even when your faith is weak, and I'm talking to all of us, the gospel of Jesus is still powerful. So in weakness, in weakness, you go back to the gospel for it's powerful. All right, here's the first point here in our Mark chapter 4. Goal achieved. Goal achieved. Three times in Mark chapter 3, Josh gave us last week, Mark told us that great crowds followed Jesus. Great crowds. Now, will they keep following Jesus? We read to the end of the gospel, and the answer is no. So Some will, but most won't. Chapter 4, verse 1, and he began to teach by the sea, and a, here it is again, a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, and he taught them many things in parables. Now, a parable is an analogy. It's a way of taking two things. You, you throw down one thing that is familiar to you and you understand, and you put down the thing that is hard to understand, a mystery next to it, and you show how they're compared so that you will understand better the thing that is 
harder to understand or the mystery. A parable is really like an extended metaphor. And so and in his teaching, he said to them, and so then Jesus starts with a common sight in a farming society. Here's a farmer with a bag around his shoulder and there's seed in there and he takes one step, two step, toss, one step, two step, toss, and he sows the seed. And it says this then. The sower sows the seed and he sows it along, some of the seed goes along the path. Uh, the path, that could be the road next to the farm, but it's also just the little paths upon which you're walking and that's not really a great place. It's kind of already compacted. And guess what happens? Immediately the birds come and eat up the seed. Jesus said some of the seed falls on rocky ground. Well, there's a little soil on rocky ground, but everybody knows you don't sow seed on rocky ground. And in fact, uh, as soon as the noonday sun comes up and it gets really, really hot, whatever has sprouted immediately dies and withers. Jesus says some of the seed falls among the thorns. Maybe this is, maybe this is next to a wall, walls that uh, kind of surround farms. Vines often grow up there. Maybe it's near a tree or something. There's some good soil there, but, but vines are more vigorous growers and, and those sorts of plants, even though the seed sprouts and begins to grow, it gets choked out by the vines. Wait a minute, Jesus. Time out. I'm just a fisherman, but I've never seen farmers waste seed on any of these types of soil. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. You know you're not going to produce fruit. Um, seed, in fact, of course, it costs money, and you're really just wasting seed, and farmers don't waste anything. Listen, Mr. Fisherman, who thinks he's an expert in farming. Maybe the farmer is generous and hopeful. And also, maybe the farmer knows something that you don't know. Jesus continues, and some seed falls on good soil, and the farmer gets what he intended. I mean, if you got a 10% yield out of your seed right there, that would be just normal and fine. 30%, that's a good year. 60%, never happened to me. People would probably say 100 times what you sown. That's never even happened. Various amounts of success, but the farmer gets what he wanted. Now, only that last part makes any sense to anyone listening. Jesus asked, do you understand my parable? Really, do you have the heart that wants to understand? And isn't that a really important question? Not always that you understand everything God is doing, but do you have the heart that wants to understand? So the, the last part makes sense, but the first three types of soil, that doesn't make sense that the sower would do that. This parable is about the kingdom of God. So Jesus is teaching something about the work of his word and the kingdom. But no, the disciples don't really understand, but they want to So. Jesus explains. He says this, the sower sows the word. He sows the word. Some are like those, the word sown on the path. When they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes away the word that was sown. Let me just say that that's unexpected. I thought that when the kingdom of God arrives, Satan will be totally removed. He says, and others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. You have met people like that who immediately responded to the gospel message, haven't you? But listen to this. But they have no root. They're short-lived when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. 
that's also unexpected. I thought that when the king comes, there will be no more distress and persecution. Right? I mean, isn't that true of Christianity? As soon as you become a Christian, all your troubles are gone? You've met people like that too. Honestly, you have. Jesus says others are like seeds sown among the thorns. Those are the ones that hear the word, but look at this. The worries of the age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I got to say this, Jesus, that's also unexpected. I thought that the kingdom would remove all worries and desires for things. After all, if the king of kings has arise, what is there to worry over or even to want? Jesus finishes, and those like seeds on good ground, they hear the word, they welcome the word, and they produce fruit, 30, 60, and a hundred times what was sown. So even though there's failure, the goal is achieved. The failure is not due to the sower or the seed, it's the soil. Now immediately you've got to ask this first question, what kind of soil am I? Are you open to the lies and schemes of Satan? Maybe you don't even know it. Are you only willing to follow God if he keeps you comfortable and free of distress and persecution? Would you rather have Jesus only if he can be an addition to your accumulation of, of wealth or fame or something like that? Like, just like Jesus is a great add-on. If you're good soil then you will remain with Christ in persecution and poverty. You're going to become, if you remain in Christ, you're going to become a carbon copy of him. That's the fruit. And you'll become a sower of the seed yourself. So a lesson for disciples of Jesus will also be to not be discouraged by the failure of seeing everyone repenting and believing the gospel. We sow the word widely, generously, year after year. A disciple's failure is not in sowing seed that produces no results. The failure is in not sowing seed at all. Now listen, this church is filled with people, and and I've, I've been talking to most of you, filled with people that came to Christ through the powerful word of God as somebody brought that into your life. It's not filled with people they got a knock on the door. In other words, that, that's how I grew up trying to do uh, uh, evangelism, knock on the door and to a perfect stranger's door, and then you, you ask them some questions, and then you give them some Bible verses. And, and, and this church is simply not filled with those sorts of people. It's filled with people that had the word of God sown by somebody or some group that patiently kept bringing the word of God. So that, that's why we ask people all the time, like, uh, uh, where did you grow up? There's so many of you used to be former Catholics. I ask this question, did you hear the gospel? Or even like a Methodist church, a Protestant church, did you hear the gospel when you grew up? No. But you're, but you're saved now. Yeah, I, I eventually heard the gospel. You can be in church and not hear the gospel. It's the word. It's not a tactic. It's not a scheme. It's not about knowledge of the word, but about implanting the word, the powerful word of God in people's lives. And that's what we're called to do. So you guys, the powerful word of Jesus achieves its intended goal, confidence. Number two, God, not us. 
The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. By itself in that word, that's one Greek word, automate, where we get the word automatic from. The power of the seed is in the seed, not the farmer. The fruit is in the seed already. The oak tree is already in the acorn. The farmer doesn't know how the seed works. He just faithfully sows and waits patiently for results. In fact, after he has sowed the seed and will do the waiting to harvest, he's already got his sickle sharpened. He's anticipating. He's got confidence. I don't know how it works, but I'm going to get ready for the harvest. I know that that will come. So you see, it's the mysterious work of God, not us. This humbles us to give God the credit for his work in changing people's lives, even our own. But it also encourages us to be faithful and let God do his work. The kingdom of God will prevail in the whole world and in our own individual lives and families. We've got to sow the word, though. Did you guys, disciples do their duty. So don't change Jesus' words or missions. Don't get inventive. Don't get creative. Don't come up with tactics. Don't start something new. Just sow the word. Read the Bible with people. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't even have to be ready for, to answer questions. Just read the Bible with somebody. Hey, I'm gonna, would you like to read the Bible with me? I've got a couple other people. We're just going to read the Bible together. Let God do it. That's how most of you came. The growth of God's kingdom on this present earth is stunning. I mean, it's hard to explain. You can't do it. The growth in Christ-likeness in you is stunning. And it is the absolute joy of my life. This is what's fun to me. Watching all of you slowly but surely, slowly but surely turn into carbon copies of Jesus Christ. And I watch it. That's why I'm always standing off to the side watching. This is amazing. <laughs> Owen McRoberts. How old is he? Nine. Came, he came to faith in Jesus. Just a little boy. What does he understand? Nothing. It doesn't matter. He understands who Jesus is, that Jesus loves him. And he stands there and he sings. He's looking up and he's singing praises to God. I'm watching the seed sprout. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. All that can be said is that the powerful word of Jesus is transforming. We should deliberately and intentionally and faithfully live out the life of Jesus in front of family and friends. Speak Bible truth as much as you can every day. Remember that it's the powerful word of Jesus that determines the course of this whole world and every human. A harvest is coming that will end everything. Number three, great expectations. No, not the book that you never read that your English teacher told you you're supposed to read. I know you didn't read it, neither did I. In verse 30, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, just a common kind of household seed that was just so small. But when it was intentionally planted in the backyard or in the courtyard, it could grow up into a tree, Jesus says, that 
that was, it's a small tree, but it's a tree that could let birds could get in its shade. And it was just a nice ornamental tree. But it's just was something common enough to say, like as small as a, as a mustard seed. Something so small, Jesus says, can be surprising in the blessing it can be to others when it is fully grown. I mean, we already know firsthand something as little as a virus, microscopic, can kill millions of people. That's what viruses can do. The most venomous snake in the world is the inland taipan, which is Australia, is in Australia, which is another reason why you don't want to go to Australia. But the venom in that snake in one bite is powerful enough to kill 100 people. Pretty sure one bite's going to take down one person. But so, so that's a little amount of venom that can kill a lot of people. For me, a little cilantro can completely ruin the meal. I don't know why I can taste that. One of the most common mistakes new gardeners make is, is seeing a small plant at the nursery. Like, oh, that is such a beautiful plant. Look at that right there. And they don't know anything about what they're doing. But God bless them for trying to grow it. And they, they put it in the wrong spot, not realizing what it will become, not realizing what its mature height is. And that's why when you go through maybe like older homes, you see a window completely covered up because they planted that underneath the window. They didn't mean to, but they just weren't looking. That's what plants do. I mean, some plants really do grow that tall. So it's kind of like unexpected, but you got to know that. So it's not just running into the side of the house or over the, the roof or something like that. Big things from little things. In our day, if I met someone who lived in the desert his whole life, and never saw what we see here in North Carolina, I'd bring them to my backyard and I would show them this, these magnificent oak trees, which they've never seen before. And then I would say, like, you know where that comes from? And then I'd show them an acorn. Something that little becomes something that big. Jesus teaches one more thing about the kingdom of God and his powerful word. It may look small, like a mustard seed, but it turns out to do, be something of great value. And blessing. So don't judge the small beginning of something, anything, like this movement he's beginning, Jesus says. A couple of hundred followers of a crucified man. By the way, that is no way to start a movement with a crucified man. That, that, nobody had any great expectations watching that, but look at where the gospel has landed now on every continent. Don't judge the early small changes that we see in new believers, even children. Don't worry that not many rich and famous are turning to Jesus. Some are, but it's mostly attractive to the small people, the outsiders and things like that. This church, there are two two men in the audience really really ordinary men who had an idea about a gospel-centered church in Fuquay. Then they sowed seed and gathered people around to get that vision. And here we are. It started off small, and now we have an influence across the ocean. That's what happens with the powerful word of God starts sowing the word, and it starts growing and transforming things. Now listen, also don't doubt that the kingdom of God one day comes to cover the entire earth and all kingdoms will be destroyed. 
So the outcome of the powerful word of Jesus far exceeds its beginning, and you can expect that. I want you to do four things. I'm not really quite at the end yet, but I want you to do four things. Listen to this. Here's the first thing. This is very, very important. Pay attention. Pay attention. I'm thinking of all of you who have at least been among the great crowds following Jesus, and that's everybody in this room among the great crowds following Jesus. You call your home Christian. You attend your church faithfully. You really like Jesus at least. I'm thinking of you teenagers. I'm thinking of you half-hearted adults. I'm thinking about anybody that would say, my dad's the pastor, my dad's a deacon, my, I'm, I come from a missionary family, a, a, a community group leader family. So anything you can think of and you're thinking... You know what you are? You're just among the great crowds. I want you to pay attention. What kind of soil are you? Jesus is the lamp that has come, he says. There's only one thing to do. Let the light shine. Don't put it under a basket. Don't put him underneath the bed. Pay attention to the light. Make your decision. You guys, teenagers, new people, make your decision The light that you reject will one day become a blazing inferno. So Jesus said, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Top 10, scariest verses in the Bible. This is one of them right there. I just read it. What you had... But you snuffed out, even that will be taken away. As the word is powerful to change your life, it's also powerful to judge you if you don't pay attention to it, if you ignore it, if you disobey it. Pay attention. Number two, wait patiently. Be patient with the results in the lives of church members. Come on, just be patient. Be full of grace. Be patient with children and teenagers. Just be patient. Be patient with yourself, but be persistent. I mean, stay in the light of Jesus, water yourself with the word, fertilize yourself in community, and by all means, get the weeds and the vines out every day. Remember, lifting weights will grow muscle. It will, but it is slow. It's not overnight. I also, by the way, know that the world frustrates you. I understand that. I'm with you on that. But Jesus is coming again. Harvest time is coming. Wait patiently and be faithful. Which reminds me to number three, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Yeah, children and teenagers are listening so much better than they let on. I have lots of experience with this as a former teacher. It's, it's just, it's, nothing has changed. Even when I teach at Reborn, I, I absolutely adore those people. But this is the same blank face. They're listening though. They're listening. And, and people are much more perceptive than you think they are. So, so, you know, be, be patient, but be hopeful. A, a smile, a hug, a text. Just yesterday, uh, my wife Kay, she, she thought she should text somebody. She thought she should text somebody something, and she just, before she sent it, she let me read it. And, and I didn't need to read it. And the reason why I didn't need to read it is one thing is that she's trustworthy and smart and all that, but, but because she thought to do it. Just 
do it. Don't say things like these those little things don't matter. The only thing that matters is preaching a sermon. You, you couldn't be more wrong. My wife's brothers, both of them have PhDs in psychology with a, a thriving practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and they've said over and over again, Don, what you're doing is just as effective as anything I do. I'm not trained at anything worthwhile. But, but, but God uses those sorts of things. So, so a text, an email, a cup of coffee in Jesus' name, even just a dollar. Just, you guys, your money is doing something. I wish you could see this. I wish you wouldn't. Just, just do something, anything. With the powerful word of God, it works. They make a difference. So be hopeful. Keep in mind the final outcome, blessing. There will be fruit. There will be a harvest. Everything that the Old Testament ever prophesied would come with Jesus the Messiah will come at his second coming. So be hopeful. You will eventually, this is the best thing about it, you'll eventually be like Jesus because you're going to see him as he is, which is really the whole goal. Number four, lastly, stay in the boat with Jesus. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Let me ask you this question about verse 35. What do you think that means? Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. I think it means we're going to do this. This is going to happen. It's just kind of as simple as that. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. I love verse 36. <laughs> since he's in the boat, we're just going to go ahead and take you along. What do you? Never mind. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat. So the boat was already being swamped. This is, this is easily one of my greatest nightmares. Which is, I really don't prefer to be in a boat because just something like that might happen. That's going to kill me. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. You guys, are you reading verse 38? Are you really reading it? What are you doing right now? He was in the stern at the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion. Can you, I mean, if I, just do, if I just do turn around one time, I'm probably going to throw up. And, and he's sleeping on this kind of thing. I'll just say this to all the mothers of small children, that you're exhausted, and I know that you're exhausted. That's real. Just say, I just want you to know that Jesus would say, like, I know what you mean. I've been so exhausted that I have slept and that sort of a thing. Wow. So they woke him up. I love that because it, <laughs> if Jesus and like, you know, he, he puts his feet, you know, flat now, he kind of gets up, puts his feet flat, his feet are just in, in like two feet of water already in the boat, cold seawater. And they say to him, teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Have you ever asked Jesus that question? Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Jesus, do you care that my marriage, I was faithful, and he or she is not faithful? Do you even care? Jesus, do you care that I'm single and lonely? Over and over again, do you care? Jesus, do you care that I've messed up parenting and my kid's a mess? Listen to this. Jesus, do you care that I have not messed up parenting and my kid is still a disaster? 
Jesus, do you care about my job loss? This is killing me. Jesus, do you care about my depression? Jesus, I just found out I have cancer. Do you care? What's the answer to that question? When your child asks you, Mom, Dad, does Jesus care? And this sort of says, What do you tell them? Where do you have them look? You have them look at the powerful cross of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Now, what does Jesus do? He says he got, the Bible says he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. He rebuked the sea, he commanded the sea. He created the sea, Jesus did, and then he just yells at it, and it pays attention. You see, in the Bible, the sea is more than just a geographical kind of a body or object. The sea in the Bible is actually one of its characters. Now, think it through, you guys. At creation, in the book of Genesis, God's powerful word brought forth the land out of the chaotic sea. In Noah's time, the waters destroyed the earth but lifted up the ark that Noah was in. It was the Red Sea that was keeping God's people from getting to his blessings. And God said, it shall not do that. And he parted the Red Sea. In the book of Job, Leviathan, the mythical monster of chaos, the the sort of the personification of evil in the chaotic sea, God says to Job, Job, I created Leviathan. It's okay. And in the book of Revelation, John records that one day the sea, what? Will be no more. Silence. Be still. He doesn't wave his hand. He doesn't whistle. He doesn't clap. He doesn't doesn't even pray. He just speaks his powerful word. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Physics people, physics majors, I know there's none of them in here. Can, I go, can we all go back to high school for just one minute? Because this is really a much bigger miracle than you're thinking it is. And it, I love it. In physics, we learn the first law of thermodynamics is that, that matter and energy can be neither created or destroyed. That the, the total kinetic energy, remember that word? The total kinetic energy of a chaotic sea of Galilee and the wind, all of that kinetic energy, when Jesus says be still, it instantly stops. Like physics question is, is where did all that energy go? I don't know. It's actually a very, very powerful miracle. Not because just because it saved people, because a powerful God who can create matter and energy can make it disappear from the universe if he wants to. They asked him, he asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who is this then? Even the wind of the sea obey him. Four times, four times Mark uses the word terrified and all four times it refers to the disciples question, a little quick question. At this point in the story, the terrified disciples who are doubting Jesus, which of the four soils are they right now? Here's a hint. It's not the fourth one. You say, Don, you don't get it. I'm sick and exhausted of the storms of my life. Stay in the boat. 
I'm too weak to keep rowing. Stay in the boat. I can't see the destination clearly anymore. I don't even know what the goal of life is anymore. Stay in the boat. I have doubts and questions about the captain of this boat. I even have some doubts about the boat. Stay in the boat. In the boat with Jesus is where the action happens. Yes, yes, it is scary. What are you going to do? Jump out? It's where you see the powerful work of God do something. When you get discouraged over the absence of growth or slow growth in people, be persistent with the powerful word of Jesus. Grab people not in the boat and pull them in with the powerful words of Jesus. Read the Bible with people, for instance. If you see someone in the boat about to jump overboard, grab them and give them the powerful words of Jesus. Jesus is calling disciples out of the crowds. His ministry is one of the powerful word. To be a disciple is to be a partner in the powerful words of Jesus. No changes will be made in your life or in the life of anyone or in the world apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I plant plants, as I plan on doing as we we get almost in March, I really don't know for sure whether it's going to live or not. There's one nursery center that I go to that guarantees and will pay my money back if my plant dies after one year. But I don't want my money back. I want the plant to live and grow. I want to guarantee that it will live and grow without fail, without possibility of fail. But that, that's not true. I can't have that. The only absolute sure thing in this world is the kingdom of God. Even if sometimes I doubt it, it's a kingdom of the powerful words of Jesus. Now listen, don't you want to be a part of something so absolutely sure? Pray with me. Father, I come to you again and thinking heavily about the the words of the Bible and their power and and also the the need for us to to pay attention. So So I lift up all of those who are in questions and doubts, especially the young, that they would pay attention. I pray for all of those who might be discouraged about anything or their faith may be weak. And I think that really talks to most of us, Lord, that we would stay in the boat with you. Here is where we can be transformed and helped by your powerful words. I certainly, Lord, want anybody in here who's not a believer to come to faith in Jesus, um, the king of the kingdom. Now, Lord, where we are weak then to absorb these things and put them into practice, I pray for your help to do that, to be a part of this great thing, this glorious thing. And so, therefore, I am praying in the name of the Jesus of the powerful words, the Jesus that is our Savior, in his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.